From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The future of technology has long fascinated storytellers, from books like Brave New World to many depictions in film. She's a replicant, isn't she? I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot one? Well, you seem like a person, but you're just a voice in a computer. I can understand how the limited perspective of an unartificial mind would perceive it that way. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Technology is not quite where Blade Runner, Her, and 2001 A Space Odyssey might have imagined, but much of our lives today is informed by artificial intelligence, or the less scary term, intelligent algorithms. From Google searches to assessing mortgage rates, getting a job, or how much we pay for health insurance. While AI helps systems operate quickly, it is not perfect. Like humans, these technologies are only as good as the information they get. Dr. Ayanna Howard is chair of the School of Interactive Computing at Georgia Tech. She's here in the studio to talk about how technology often reflects our own biases. Ayanna, welcome. Thank you. This is exciting. Well, thank you for being here. It is exciting. I mean, this is something that we've seen so much in movies, how robots are depicted making decisions based on fact. You know, it comes across as very logical and based on data. Is it the same in real life? No, it's not. Um, because the fact is, fact, uh, is these algorithms are learning from us and we're not perfect. That's that's an understatement. So this concept then that technology may not be as fair and unaffected as we imagine. This is known as algorithmic bias. And bias among humans, a real learned thing, connected often to emotion. How does technology become biased? So so the thing is, is that um, the algorithms themselves aren't, you know, they don't have emotions. But when we decide to use them for certain applications, how do we train them? How do we give them the expert knowledge that they need? Um, and so they are learning from our data. And our data is based on our emotions. Like we make decisions sometimes if we haven't had our cup of coffee, it might be different than if we are, you know, up late at night and tired. And so that's the data that's feeding into the algorithms. And so... We sometimes get that bias that we ourselves have. Well, let's get to some examples. There have been studies through the years of identical resumes with more American-sounding names like Kevin or Heather or uh, also Jamila or Lakeisha, you know, that kind of thing, something African-American. And we should mention this has been done in France and the U.K. as well, so it's not just African-American. What is the difference between when a machine sorts through resumes and gives preference to the more American-sounding name and, and when a human does it? Well, so the problem is, is that um, these algorithms, so I want to figure out who is the best job candidate. And so what I will do is I will take the resumes and I'll take away the names, right? So I'm thinking, oh, I'm giving my AI algorithm a pure unbiased resume. But the fact is, is that there's things that are correlated between names and activities, as an example, if I am more likely uh, a woman, I might have Society of Women Engineers on my resume, even though my name may be gone. Right. Um, and so the algorithms are using the data because maybe there were more men that were hired than women. And so who are the best employees? It's the ones who end up being guys. And, and the, the ones who have experience often. Correct. 
So these systems often determine recommendations or results based on the data available or how data was sorted or prioritized. Healthcare is another big data-driven industry. So how do we see algorithmic bias happening in medicine? Yeah, so uh, healthcare is the one that scares me a lot because that can impact um, our outcomes and our lives. Um, so as an example, in heart attacks recently it's been um, known that women exhibit the symptoms of heart attacks slightly different. Hmm. So, so you remember when you saw those movies and you see these guys clutching their chest, yes. right? You're like, oh my gosh, heart attack. Um, so they've shown that women don't have those same kind of things. It's a different type of feeling. It's not this clutching, oh, intense pain. And so imagine that you're training an algorithm that says, okay, these are the symptoms. You know, let them, what are the symptoms? And you go, oh, clutching the pain. They're like, oh, heart attack. The woman comes in, it's like, well, I have this pain, but it's kind of mere, it's in my stomach, it's in my back. They're like, oh, well, you're not a high priority because it's probably just indigestion. So the connection is that, uh, let me make sure I got this right. So because there are fewer data sets of how women show or manifest a heart attack, they're much more less likely to be treated correctly. Correct. And then the AI algorithm is learning those characteristics. So but can you make the argument? It's all there in the data. You know, this is how women do it. Um, so it is in the data. But the fact is, is that there has to be a human that gives the output, right? And so the human will say, okay, this is a heart attack and this is not, right? And that's the problem. Okay, I think I'm following all this. Now, historically, there have been a number of technological advancements that do have bias built in, you know, simply because of their creators. That's what I'm hearing from you. Film photography is one interesting example that used white skin to calibrate the colors in prints. So does the creator, the one who determines what is important or what the calibration is, continue to play a role in these systems that may operate with bias now that we're living in this digital realm? Uh, yes. In fact, there's been, uh, a, unfortunately... Um, there's been tweets and blog posts about things like passport systems, which mm -hmm. are now using facial recognition technology, right. where um, individuals who are of an Asian descent, it isn't able to image them right because it has to see that you, you know, your face is centered and your eyes are open and, you know, you can't be smiling. Right. And so there have been records of uh, folks with who have of Asian descent that is not able to recognize but now facial recognition technology, not not just passports, but we're looking at that in, you know, airport screening and that kind of thing, even on our phones. So if that technology is making bad assumptions, is it then propagating biased assumptions? I mean, is it replicating it and, and, and making it even greater in it our is. culture? It is. And I will give a hypothetical example, although it's not too hypothetical. Uh, so there is actually a startup company that's looking at um, putting facial recognition on uh, police body camps. Um, and so think about this, right? Um, you're in a scenario, you stop an individual, you're already in a high-stress situation, right? And uh, you are very cautious and you kind of, you're rationalizing, but there's emotions involved. And now your body cam recognizes the individual and matches it incorrectly because it's overtrained on, say, uh, an age 18-year-old um, African-American male. Mm -hmm. And the AI system says, High warning, high warning. Mm -hmm. You're an emotion. You're like, oh, my gosh, the AI system has told me this is danger. You have just skyrocketed the emotion and any little thing. Oh, they're going for something, right? And they're just going for their license. This is a problem. 
So I'm speaking with Dr. Ayana Howard. She's chair of the School for Interactive Computing at Georgia Tech. And we're talking about how various forms of bias are often built into technology used every day. And as we're hearing, how it can really affect outcomes. All right. So with medical or policing situations, these are critical systems. Many times doctors and police need to make split split second decisions, right? So what are some of the other challenges or concerns if these potentially unreliable systems are being deployed and that people are relying on them? Um, So if you think about what affects all of us, uh, one is um, education. So when we apply to colleges or med schools or even if we're trying to apply to the hot kindergarten program in Say Atlanta. <laughs> um, it's becoming more apparent that AI is being used to make these decisions. Um, and so this can impact your quality of life later on, which is a problem, I would say, in that regard. But do you think that, you know, compared to human biases or human opinions, if something comes out in a data set, are we more likely to believe it than not? We are. Um, so research, including my own, has shown that when an uh, algorithm, an AI system says something, people are more inclined to believe it, even if they aren't quite sure. Like if a person says something uh, and we don't believe them, we'll, we'll go and be like, oh, let's Google it or something. When an AI system says something, we are more inclined to be like, well, it must know something I don't know. Uh-huh. So with technologies advancing so quickly, government, legal codes, and companies, which tend to operate more slowly, may have a hard time catching up with that kind of thing. So where are we in terms of regulation addressing algorithmic bias and even recognizing it? Um, so, of course, law always uh, falls behind technology. Um, and so we are seeing that there's uh, some states are doing things like banning facial recognition. So this happened in San Francisco area where anything related to, say, policing is not allowed to use facial recognition mm-hmm. algorithms. Uh, and then we have um, the U.S. federal government just released a AI principles, uh, in fact, earlier uh, this month, which is not rules, not regulations, but when you're designing AI, what are those things that you should be thinking about? Uh, one of the principles is trustworthy AI. Um, so at the federal level, we haven't quite got to strict regulations, but at some of the state levels we have, at some point we're going to converge. So what are you and your academic colleagues who are looking at AI and how these biases can be carried forth? What do you recommend in terms of regulation, more or less? Yeah, so as an academic, we are actually worried about regulations. Um, and it's only because... Right, it might be sti- have a stifling effect. It will have a stifling, because uh, typically regulations are not designed by programmers and scientists, right? And so understanding that technology is not part of these regulations. Uh, the other problem is, is that um, if we think about competition, other countries are not necessarily putting in regulations, mm. which basically then puts us at a very negative disadvantage and could actually impact our own freedoms, right? Like all of these agents outside are attacking us and we're like, yeah, we have nothing to Mm. help us. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do worry about regulations. And so as academics and developers of this technology, a number of us are actively trying to think of ways and working with ethicists and social scientists of how do we mitigate the, the bias because they are still better than people. 
Right. So we've heard, you know, major consequences as we have you've been talking about, as well as minor ones, like the fact that maybe your your child or your twin could unlock your phone with facial recognition. So how about the average person? What can we do to help combat algorithmic bias? Um, so there's actually two things. One is um, just like with anything, write your your person, your your legal person, your representative and say, hey, I like AI. Please say I like AI. <laughs> but, you know, we need to put in more funding for mitigating, not just developing. Um, and so, as like with anything, when you have, hear enough of a voice, you start thinking about both the positives and the negative. The other thing is, is that some of us are, we tend to overtrust these systems. Uh-huh. Um, when you have your search engine, how many times do you go to the second page? Like, never. Right. Right? Like, okay, why don't you just say, you know what, today I'm going to always go to the second page and get out of my own comfort zone. Any ideas of how AI could be used to actually reduce discrimination or human bias? Yeah, so one of the nice things about um, these systems is that they can go through an immense amount of data and could look at the disparate outcomes, like the differences in outcomes. So they can fix themselves, but we as developers, as companies, have to allow the systems as part of that, which adds in some time, right? You can't just release a software. It's like, no, we now need to take two months to do bias checking and bias testing, not just trying to figure out if we're at, we can release it and make money. So you're an accomplished woman in technology. You were named among the 23 most powerful women engineers in the world by Business Insider. So what difference does diversity behind the developments, those who are designing the systems in technology, make? Um, it's really important, and mainly because if we don't have diversity and diversity of thought, diversity easily is associated with gender and ethnicity and economics. That means you have groupthink, and you're never going to realize certain things, right? If you don't have a woman on the team, you're not going to think about things like um, it might be hard to get into a certain autonomous vehicle with a dress. Like, you wouldn't think about that because you may not wear a dress, right? And so even these little things make a difference on your team. What do you use for a search engine? I'm curious. Um, I actually go between Bing and Google just because of the principle. All right. Dr. Ayanna Howard, Chair of the School of Interactive Computing at Georgia Tech, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And we're going to leave you with a 2016 song written by artificial intelligence, created by researchers at Sony and human Benoit Carré, brought to life. Coming up, the story behind Muhammad Ali's return to boxing and the role Atlanta played. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought. Like something new, it turns me on. 